0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's get a focus on prayer. Now, prayer from a different sort of perspective than what any of us might ever necessarily consider is the way that we might pray. Prayer for a specific area of global involvement, and that would be prayer for the nation of Israel. And to talk through some of these issues, a special visitor to Australia, a prayer leader who goes by her Jewish name, Kolia, a fourth-generation Jewish believer who has a heart for the Lord and his people. And for 20 years, she's been traveling between the United States and Israel twice or more each year, up to three months at a time. Now, what's special about Kolia is that she is a governmental intercessor. So she's praying for issues to do with Israel, but we're talking about international issues, huge issues, and uh, written four books and is a speaker and has been speaking while she's been in Australia. But a special welcome along, Colia.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
0: What sort of things have you been talking to Australian audiences about when it comes to these issues of prayer and intercession and praying for the nation of Israel?
1: well it's been interesting that not so much directly israel has been the focus of questions but it has been what happened in america that will influence israel and with this election and how was prayer used to impact that election so that's been you know that's a governmental application of our authority to change or to impact rulership of a land
0: i wonder whether when we talk about prayer that we're talking about coming into the courts of the lord uh, but also in our own our own setting as we're opening the newspaper, as we're watching the news headlines and we're seeing all sorts of things happening, changing governments, changing leaders, changing ideologies that are leading nations, uh, that when we're praying, we're actually praying into the circumstances where... The world is changing, and Mm -hmm. uh, and there's obviously a biblical way to pray. But but when you talk about uh, intercession for governments uh, Mm -hmm. and big, big issues like this, uh, obviously uh, the changing environment uh, leads you in the way that you do pray.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the first uh, basic foundational positions is for the believers to understand that the Bible is political. I mean politics have gotten a very bad name, and so a lot of believers and and I use the term believers because it's it's Jewish and Gentile, uh, one new man, Echad, one one person, in the body of Messiah. we sometimes we think it's you know this this term politically correct is um, shuts down thinking, biblical thinking and biblical acting and speaking for people of faith. and so the Word of God is quite political. The Pharisees killed Jesus, Yeshua, for political reasons, for power. So politics involves the power that's used on the earth, and it's impacted by spiritual entities. So we can apply the word of the Lord. When we look at a situation, I usually have a way that I approach a situation. For instance, let's say that the election in America. We had many, many candidates that initially were running And people of faith would say then, um, Abba Father, or I would would say, Abba Father, blind my eyes, deafen my ears, seal me, body, soul, and spirit, in the blood of Yeshua the Messiah. And tell me, show me where your heart is in this election. Is there one that you favor? Is there one that you want me to to support? You want me to cover, protect? And he would indicate that. And... uh, Whenever there is a, a decision in government, maybe, for instance, in Australia, it's very bothersome, the safe school thing. If if the believers across this land would go to prayer and say, Abba, uh, do you have a problem with safe schools? You'd, you'd hear him say, absolutely. And then the question then for people of faith is, is it something, is the problem you're going to handle s- sovereignly? Or is it something you want me to be involved in and do something, say something? And then to follow what he says because this uh, safe school thing at its heart, at its center is corruption for your children and for this nation. And that's that's where the enemy has backed off the people of the Lord because it's like don't become political. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't become political. It's not what people of faith are allowed to do. And um, it's just shut down the body so that they run roughshod all these unholy laws. I mean – We love homosexuals dearly. We love them as the Lord loves them. But if we really love them, we want them blessed to the maximum. And the Lord cannot bless rebellion. So those kinds of issues we need to be involved as people of faith in love and in obedience to what the Lord says.
0: Do you find that when you say to a group of believers that your Christian faith is very political, that your prayer life is political, that people are confronted by something they hadn't considered before, or they, they didn't really want their Christian faith to be political? How do you find people's reaction?
1: Well, first of all, you have to explain what political is, because human politics is ugly, it's dirty, and it's messy. But it's just simply order. It is simply the, the politics, the, the policies of the kingdom of God have to play a part in the policies of human governance. And the the believers have, have been uh, deceived into thinking they can step back, that the worlds are separate, that there's this religious world that is isolated, must be isolated from the from the human governance. And that's not biblical. You know, throughout history and even now, Israel, the, the reality of Israel is political. Look what it's doing around the world in the UN. It's political. The fact that it exists is a political statement. And uh, so we need to know... Uh, that there's human politics and there's divine politics.
0: So when my values are being shaped because I'm wanting to follow Jesus Christ, the Mm -hmm. perfect image of God, then when my values come into conflict with whatever politically ideological values are being presented by political parties, Mm -hmm. then I have a responsibility before God to stand by his values and not their values.
1: That's exactly so. And the world is divided into two kingdoms, whether most people acknowledge that truth or not. There's the kingdom of Yehovah, the kingdom of the God of the Bible, and the kingdom of darkness. And there's no gray. It says strict in the scriptures, that if you're in the gray, if you're lukewarm, you'll be spit out. So the believers in the book, in the, in the Bible, have to, to choose. Are they going to stand with that kingdom? And if your citizenship is, is with the kingdom of Yehovah, and I use his Hebrew real name. It's Yudhei That's It could be Yahweh, however you want to call it. But he loves to hear his name. And I think it's a bad thing. It's a sad thing that the people of faith don't use his name because he loves hearing it and there's power in it. Uh, but yes, you have to choose your kingdom. And when you choose your citizenship, your kingdom, then you have a responsibility to stand with it.
0: Kalia, I wonder whether there would be more Christian believers arriving at the church prayer meeting uh, or on their knees before God in the morning early, if they realized that their prayer life should be political. I wonder whether this divorce from the politics and our prayer actually means or leads us to think that somehow or other our prayers are not so important or even meaningless.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think Yeshua, Jesus, was very clear that we are supposed to impact our world. We're supposed to be uh, truth-tellers. We're supposed to be game-changers. We're supposed to be people of the way of the light. I mean, as a Jew, I know that my people were given many blessings and given a calling to be light to the nations. We were to be the keepers of the Torah. We were the keepers of the Brit HaDashah, which you'd call the Old Testament, New Testament. We were to bring forth through our genetic line Messiah. Jesus to the world, and we we continue to have that responsibility. This little tiny nation to be the the truth bringers, the light bringers to the nations, and I I believe that um, the the Gentile portion of the body, what I would call Christian, uh, they once they have the light from the Lord, whether it comes from a Jewish truth teller, but it comes from the Jewish literature, the Jewish you know, history, the roots that you're connected with, but also from the God of all gods. Uh, You know, they have a responsibility when you are given instruction and you're given truth to apply it into your world. And that means politically, educationally, in media, because if we don't, if we just hand over the world, we will suffer loss. The Lord will miss his, not get the glory that's due him, and many, many will suffer because of the deceptions and the manipulations and the corruptions of the dark kingdom will then have ascendancy. In where it says, Yeshua said we are to possess the ground or to occupy until he comes. That means bring forth the kingdom of God that's in us, manifest it, demonstrate it, and expand it. And and we are supposed to be the head, not the tail. And right now I look at this. So many issues that are in the political arena in government and laws, the tail is wagging the dog because the believers have sat down.
0: Well, we're talking about prayer, and now we're into something quite deep and quite profound, the political nature of our prayer. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while Kolia is with us. Kolia is a fourth-generation Jewish believer. She's American and is visiting Australia. She's known as a governmental intercessor. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We are into a conversation that may for some be quite controversial because we've begun to talk about prayer as a political pursuit Our guest is known as Kolia, a fourth-generation Jewish Christian believer who has a heart for the Lord and his people, and while she has a big heart for the nation of Israel, she is called a governmental intercessor. So we're talking about the pursuit of prayer, and prayer not just for Mrs. Jones and her sick cat, uh, but we're also praying for the bigger issues, the issues that our nation might be facing, the issues that the whole world is facing, and some of those we could touch on, perhaps being the nation of Israel as well. But, but do you think when we talk about big issues in prayer that sometimes we're more interested in praying for Mrs. Jones and her sick cat? Uh, Mm -hmm. than we are for actually getting involved into praying through the nitty-gritty of political process because that demands a little bit more information, Mm -hmm. understanding of Mm -hmm. what's happening Mm -hmm. so that we can pray, so that we can align our values then that are being shaped by the Bible uh, to what's happening in our own nation.
1: That's right. And I think a lot of the problem is that uh, there is a specific kind of prayer, a warfare style of prayer, which is not politically correct because it draws clear lines in the sand. And the humanism that's invaded the church and it's throughout the world says there's no absolute truth. And anybody who draws absolute truth, anybody who says their God is the one true God, <clears throat> is authentic, inauthentically human. In other words, you, you're just deluded, you're uh, irrelevant. And so I think... A lot of times, the church has been silenced, wanting to be approved, wanting to keep their 5013 one three status. Five hundred C status in the U.S. is our tax-free status. To be to kind of go along and and uh, like we say, to be so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. That you're so involved in the religious rather than the seeing the kingdom life as your everyday life. Every facet of your life is for the kingdom of of Jehovah. Every, every facet is for the kingdom of God. Um, so when you've got evil in governments operating in Moy, you can look around. Evil, evil is everywhere. Evil uh, mandates, dictates, judicial mandates that are evil. You've got politicians that are perverse, and some of them flat out Luciferian. And the church has just stood back and just, you know, prayed, well, handle it, Lord. And, you know, you know how to you have to know how to do warfare prayer, but you have to know how to do it in his protocol, according to his order and his uh, mandates that are given clearly within Scripture. And you can see it in some of Daniel's prayers. You can see it in David's prayers and Moses prayers, Paul's prayers, Yeshua's own words. That's very clear. Um, we have two opposing kingdoms. And why would Paul say put on the whole armor? If you if if you're in a war, you need armor. See, I think most of the people that sit in pews are not aware that we're at war. They they think it's just a little skirmish here and there, but no, it is polarized. It is, which way are you going to serve? What who's who's going to be Lord? Who's going to dictate the standards and the morality of your life? Who's going to do it?
0: And we mostly think of the prayer meeting as being something that's clean cut family friendly. And in actual fact, I suspect we could get into a big conversation even about competing prayers. Now, let's not get too controversial and go with competing (laughs) prayers here. But when you talk about coming into a prayer meeting, uh, the interesting thing is when we talk publicly about politics, Mm -hmm. uh, we keep things on the personality and the policy side. When we're coming into the courts of the Lord, all of that sort of stuff is relevant, but there's a spiritual dimension that comes in which has to cut through all of the the niceties, all the political correctness, and actually comes before God and has a heart which is God's heart in the prayer. And that's where you really have to be brutally honest about the things that are going on in your nation.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the, the issue of abortion, just for instance. I mean, the shedding of innocent blood is very clear within Scripture as being cause for a major curse on a nation. Uh, Innocent blood is is a baby. And, And, you know, in the United States in this election we just had, Mrs. Clinton was saying that it's the right for a woman's body to have an abortion. And my response to that is, I'm sorry, you may have your own body, yes, but the little entity growing inside of you is not your body. You have no right to it. You You know, absolutely, that's... That's a creation separate from you, but you are given the honor of incubating it. It belongs to the Lord. It has a soul. It has a life. It doesn't. It's an arrogance to think that that's not the shedding of innocent blood. So it's a curse on a nation. And the, because the people just didn't want to get involved with it or they didn't want to get involved in other situations that are hot-button items. And I think here's the thing. A lot of the humanist agenda, uh, it, it comes with... A set of new rules that somehow the greatest sin now, the greatest offense against society is to be uh, politically incorrect, Islamophobic, homophobic. Who changed the definitions? Who, Who made these new sins and established them as foundational? Because the church has been silent on what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. Because we've been not wanting to step out, stick our necks out and say, excuse me. This is a violation of the word of the Lord, the scriptures that we stand on. It is absolute truth. It is authority. And it's the way of blessing. It's a narrow way. And the way of of humanism is a broad way. And it's opened the door for Islam to come in and run through uh, nations and change their cultures and and bring deprivation and destruction. And and it's used it. to shut down the voice of the christian community and the jewish community it's um, it's a sad commentary we who are supposed to know him and have the greatest level of authority and through him and through his holy spirit have wisdom we shut down
0: i suspect that many people listening to our conversation now will be saying i agree with everything you're saying but what about the next generations what about the younger people I wonder if they'll catch a hold of a vision to be on their knees before God in prayer for our nation and for the global issues that the world faces. You have a particular passion for young people. We call them millennials. What do you feel about young people and prayer and this idea that that prayer is political and, mm-hmm. and uh, governmental intercession. How do you inspire young people to get on, on board and, and be a part of this whole process?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to understand most of them are turned off by religion. They, they just see no life there in most of the churches. Uh, they are filled with such passion, such fire, and I can remember what I was like. I'm sure many of the listeners, yep. when they were younger, they can remember they're causal. They're on fire. And that's why humanism just grabs them because it's, it's about uh, equal rights and dealing with the oppressed and all this sort of stuff. But uh, for them, sitting in a prayer room is not attractive and it's not, it just doesn't apply to their lives. So I think the first step is um, for them to see the older generation operating in the true persona of what the the body of Messiah should be. And um, I have a master's degree in the area of self-esteem rebuilding, and I have never used it to earn an income, but it's a key to get in a lock into people's hearts and lives. And then the Lord speaks. Uh, But years ago, the Lord told me the definition of humility is to know him truly and to know who we truly are in relation to him, which is also how empowered we are. And then to live out that relationship in integrity consistency and boldness see uh, the young people have all this fire and they see the church basically inert or religious and when they get in line and i say to a young person you are a singular unrepeatable miracle in a dream of god from the foundation of time born for right now you are not what you say you're not what you do you are not what's been done to you what you produce or what they say about you you must know who you are to come into your destiny you are to be those of the Joshua generation to take the ground. But you will not come to your fullness unless you know him first and who you are in him second. And they, they come alive. They come alive. And I bless them. I often just put a blessing on them and say, If you don't, um, my my job is to facilitate you coming to know him and to know your gifting and to use it and learn how the skills of spiritual war If you don't go higher and farther in the kingdom, and if your gifting isn't greater, and you don't take more ground than I do, I will have failed in my role. I'm supposed to make a way for them and fire them. And you know, when they get that message, there's something in them that comes alive. It's like I've had people say, I have not met somebody like you that is alive in your faith. And they're fighters. I'm a fighter. And a lot of times you see prayer is just sitting in your room on your knees, but a lot of times prayer is on the run with the sword or on a horse as you're going against and, and pushing the enemy back as an army with locked, locked uh, shields like the Romans. They lock together and they just move their enemy back, but they don't see unity in the body. They don't see power. They don't see love. They don't see acceptance. So what's the point of being in the church? And that's what we have to change. We have to change our modalities and the way we speak and how we engage with them for them to come on board.
0: If you were thinking of priorities that Australian listeners to your uh, your efforts to persuade us, because this is so powerful, this is coming to a biblical, Form of prayer, which is political and it's powerful and it's authoritative. What sort of priority for those listening to our conversation now would you say uh, we need to adjust? We need to set in place these things and change the way we do what we do, change the way we do what we do in our local church Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. with our teenagers, with our Mm -hmm. children. What Mm -hmm. sort of priorities would you think of?
1: I think, uh, first of all, laying aside format because we all have our habits and our ways that, you know, we can build personal kingdom. We can be build a Canaanite house that doesn't move. We're to be tent dwellers where the Holy Spirit is supposed to move through, you know, to breathe and bring life to us. And when we, we get territorial. So I think we need to change that. Let the Lord have a free hand with us. We need to spend less time talking and more time listening to him, attending to him. I think uh, another thing I see often is that, that worship the the worship leaders don't understand the difference between worship and praise and praise is includes about us about us but that's the outer that's the that's the holy place but what you get in the holy of holies is the presence and that's pure worship and that's only about him So rather than do praise and then a worship song and a praiser and you're jumping in and out of the holy place and the holy of holies, work your way through praise into the holy of holies and stay in worship and then be silent in that place. Listen, that's important. Also important is to find out in prayer meetings, you come in with an open heart and an open mind and open hands and say, what do you want us to pray? What do you want us to know? What's on your heart? And it's astounding what you can hear. And um, I'm thinking, particularly years ago, I was crying out to the Lord regarding a very evil person in a high place that was that was bringing, un, uh, bringing forth a lot of untruth and a lot of wicked laws. And I said, Lord, how do we take him down? How do we change his mind? And he said, well, always pray for a revelation of me and for salvation. But he said, you must also pray this prayer. And he said, in one standing, you say, Father God, in your love, in your wisdom, in your mercy, and in your timing, deal with this person in one of these three ways fix him, fry him, or finish him. And what that means, explain to me, fix him is a sovereign repair like a Damascus road for Paul. Fry him is Nebuchadnezzar. Put him on a bed of affliction until they understand who is the Lord and it's not him or her, so they come to understand. And if the Lord looks into that life and into that that future and sees that person is given over to evil, will not change, and will create destruction on the earth, in the body, uh, finish him, take him off the planet. And see, some people say, oh, that's a terrifying prayer. It's not politically correct. But yes, it is, because it's calling on the Lord. He said, I will not act until you ask me. So out of those three things, he will act out of his love, mercy, and wisdom, and timing, fix him, fry him, or finish him. And that's the way you can remove people from governance that are going to be or, or change them or alter them. We trust God to do it. We don't say go kill this person. We say in your wisdom and your love and mercy and timing, do this for the sake of the body, for your namesake.
0: Well, I warned it might be a controversial conversation talking about governmental intercession. Thank you on behalf of listeners uh, for sharing these things that we've been talking about. There's so much more we could have covered, but how we pray today as a governmental intercessor. And really what you're saying is that's really a biblical foundation for how you pray for your leaders and for your nation. And with so many challenges that we might be facing with. Uh, The changing ideas about sexuality with the rise of Islam, with all Mm -hmm. of the challenges that are happening internationally and uh, the nation of Israel in there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a good time to be on our knees and to become governmental intercessors. Thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you.